The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. You're done. I'm done. There's okay. No, there's, we've got nine weeks to go and i got nothing. No content. No, my hi to my, this has gone by lunchtime. I'm going to tell you what time it is. The time is just after 10 o'clock on Tuesday, July 21. And I really have to do that because it seems like now every podcast is an emergency podcast. Like the news pinata is just exploding all over us all the time. Thank you very much to Flick Electric for making this happen. Thank you to Jane Yee who's stepping into the producer seat today. Um, Hopefully she makes it through the entire episode, she's like Miss Tiller. She, well, that's true. Tina, um, I think, is... is um, resigned in protest at um, Ben and Annabelle's statements. Jane, meanwhile, has lit a candle on the producer's desk and already close to set the whole studio on fire. Um, Annabelle Lee Mather is here. Thanks for coming in, Annabelle. Kia ora. Ben Thomas is here. He's had a COVID test. It was very. Un- it was much more invasive than I thought it would be. Oh. Yeah. That's, but everywhere it says it's invasive. How yeah, could you not have known that was the case? I saw um, I saw Ace RNZ reporter Charlotte Cook's video of her COVID test, mm. and um, she made it look like a breeze. But then there was this thing like right up my nose, into right. my brain, yep. kind of scraping little bits of brain out. Yeah, that's where, that's why you that's why you've run out of material. Like it got <laughs> yeah, scraped <laughs> off with the. Swab. It's all in the swab. <laughs> it's all in it. <laughs> They're going, they're going to like material. Yeah, ESR are going to test the swab, and they're going to go like, "Wow, we've got like four zingers in here." But <laughs> um, we got three gags about the National Party caucus disintegrating. Like, um, the send them on to the director general for his daily briefing. I think. Uh, I think after what's happened, we were just discussing that maybe it's maybe this is the we should talk about STV single transferable vote. I think that's the pressing issue on people's minds. Definitely. Three or four year term, I think, is is something we need to give serious consideration to right now, <laughs> today. Look, eight days ago. This this imp- important to note that this podcast was recorded before Andrew Bailey held up a South Auckland liquor store <laughs> on Tuesday afternoon. We're recording in the morning. Yeah. This was before <laughs> before in, international MP's name. Um, yeah turned into cheese spontaneously on the high street of Whanganui. Um, eight days ago, ladies and gentlemen, the three most senior people in the National Party were one, Todd Muller, two, Nikki Kay, and three, Amy Adams, and MP Andrew Falloon was best known for a tweet about a cat. This is the pace of the 2020 general election um, after a series of general elections that felt like pretty fast-running treadmills this one is going in a similar direction what do we I don't know where do we begin with all this um Annabelle basically uh, the first first came to light was 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 less than 24 hours ago it was it was um I just nipped out a little timeline here it was 2.04 p.m that a statement arrived in Falloon's name from the office of the leader of the opposition and it foregrounded you know, some really serious issues around um, him having uh, mental health issues and having had in his life a number of friends um, commit suicide. Really quite, you know, serious and upsetting stuff. And then from there, 
there was a big hole in the statement. So Judith Collins also issued a statement. So it was a donut of a statement and that the middle was missing and because there were apologies made for mistakes, but we didn't know anything about what those mistakes were. And then inevitably we began to learn over the course of the day what those were. They were that uh, Falloon had sent pornographic images, unsolicited pornographic images to a young woman, a teenage woman, first year of university, reportedly. Um, and then and then we learned this morning that there had been, there's a, a second and a third woman who had also received these images. And uh, Judith Collins moved this morning in a round of media interviews to expedite his departure from Parliament, which originally had been just planned to, he was just going to hang out for the next few weeks quietly and pick up his salary. I don't know. What do you make of this? There is, I, I, uh, I mean, we don't, we don't know. There, there is, there is, no, there is nothing that says that it's impossible to have serious mental health issues at the same time as behaving appallingly. You know, it's not like one they can't happen together, but they are also separate. Um, and we don't know all the details of this. So, but I do feel part of me feels quite strongly that if, if, if the mental health problems if mental illness has been used as a smokescreen as a kind of human shield for uh, attention being paid to um, political misbehavior that is completely reprehensible that is unforgivably wrong indeed indeed I, I'm impressed with the speed in which Judith Collins um, has acted to um, cauterize this particularly revolting weepy saw. Um, I think, you know, she was in a difficult position in that if someone does cite mental health issues, you do kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt and go through a process. Yeah. Um, but clearly, as the information has come to hand, um, she has um, worked through that and... To push out a sitting electorate MP is no mean feat. She doesn't, I, I think legally, she she doesn't have the ability to do that. You can only do that with list MPs. So that she was able to convince him to quit in, you know, within 24 hours, I think, um, is commendable. I also think that, you know, not long ago, most male leaders wouldn't have been able to resist the urge to drop this particular shit bomb um, in the media. So I think it's also commendable that Jacinda Ardern um, managed it, handled it the way she did, and I think it shows um, incredible um, integrity and uh, discipline on, on her part. And it's the, it's the right thing to do. It's what we should expect from our politicians. But in this part of the election cycle, I think... You know, others may not have followed suit so good on her as well. So, just to fill in um, on the Prime Minister's office role in this, um, we learned yesterday over the course of the afternoon that the the origin of the <coughs> the revelations, really, the correspondence, was um, in an email sent to the Prime Minister's office uh, on Wednesday, as I understand it. Um, that was when that was sort of processed properly. It was provided to by the Prime Minister's office, by the Chief of Staff, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, to the National Party's Chief of Staff on Friday afternoon. Uh, that was in turn shared with Judith Collins on the morning, on Saturday morning. Um, so, uh, and then she took action on 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 Monday morning. But given she had, as far as we know, been uh, the the email which included presumably the evidence, was it sufficient to uh, to foreground the mental health stuff and not to... to did, did she act appropriately, Judith Collins, in, in your estimation, on, on, on the Monday afternoon? Yeah, so I have quite strong feelings about the invocation of mental health in political uh, scandals, I suppose, because we saw it with Jamie Lee Ross where... We he, did. He... You know, sort of claimed that he was in sort of the stages of various mental health crises and incidents, and he um, was. Look, I, so and, I don't and, want to. He was committed to mental health. No, no, absolutely. Like, and I, you know, it's it can be both true that politics is a bruising environment, that there is there are parts of a toxic culture in Parliament, mm. that there that politicians sometimes 
are under a lot of strain because of their own actions and that this can lead to mental health issues. Um, and that's distinct from mental health issues prompting poor behaviour. And it's distinct from mental health being an excuse for poor behaviour, whether you're under the influence of you know, mental health issues at the time. Mm. Right? It's not this canard that you can evoke to escape any sense of culpability or responsibility. This is leading back to the, um, the Judith, Judith Collins' um, handling of it, mm. which is that, in my estimation... We don't know what the victim, the receiver of the of the messages, mm. um, wanted out of this. Um, that hasn't been reported, as far as I know. We do know that we do know that the prime minister's office checked with checked the with sender they could before send it to, providing yes. it yeah. on to the yeah yeah. To, yeah. Um, so my judgment would be that the appropriate response to finding out that your MP has done this is to get rid of them. Now, she she did that. Um, if at the same time he's under a lot of stress because, you know, pro- probably understandably because, you know, by mid-afternoon online he was being called a pedophile and, you know... <laughs> you know, and subject to you know a, a lot of you know hatred, you know, and and you know probably a bit of it deserved. Um, that you know, I mean, he was he was clearly you know guilty of gross misconduct as an MP, and you know, and and I don't think that it's contradictory to want to say, you know, we need to look after these people while they're in the midst of these issues. And take the appropriate steps, which is get them out of Parliament, get them removed from public life. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't think that that's inappropriate. I think that's the same with, you know, as with Jamie Lee Ross. You know, it was appropriate to respect him, you know, taking time out, getting treatment. It didn't excuse him at the same time going on to News Talk ZB and trying to smear and re-victimise people, um, spread leaks, that kind of, kind of thing. Um, and I think in the same way, um, the... Um, Jane is just holding us up to us as we speak for hopefully some breaking news, which is that Judith Collins is saying that she has spoken to the police about the two new allegations, which we've had this morning, one coming via staff and the other via news hub about the second and third woman, and that the police have advised her office that they are likely to reopen investigation that's um, been posted by Henry Cook of stuff. So uh, this is obviously a developing story, and what you're listening to is out of date. But hang on, Ben is not finished. Yeah, so what, what I'm saying is I, I think it's totally legitimate to both respect people's you know, mental health crises brought about you know, in all likelihood by their own actions um, at the same time as keep holding them accountable for the things that they have done. Mm. You know, holding them to account doesn't necessarily mean piling in and sticking in the boot at every opportunity. You know, the, the penalty for poor conduct as an MP is that you you are sacked mm. or you are forced to resign. Uh, you give up your hefty pay. You give up your role in public life. You give up your status in society. You're, you're made a pariah. These are pretty hefty penalties. And, as we've just seen from Henry Cook's tweet... Um, the police may start to investigate as more matters come to light. So, there's a, and, and, and just for clarity, I don't think that reporters continuing to ask questions is putting the boot in in any way. Um, I think that that's their role and their job and can lead to, you know, more relevant information being disclosed. So, you know, I mean, as I see it, we've, we're seeing the system working right now. Um. That may well be, and uh, we, you know, we don't we don't know what else might come t- to light. Um, but what we also are looking at is what appears to be not just a pattern on the part of one MP, but you mentioned Jamie Lee Ross, um, who was uh, you know in the National Caucus, the National 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 was he front bench? Certainly he was. He, he was, was in front a senior bench, position. Yeah. Yep. Um, we had that <coughs> Hamish Walker. Uh, Situation, which is a, dif- a different, a different sort of thing, but it also involves private patients' details. It's the kind of thing that should be clear to most uh, clear-thinking people, as is, is, is beyond the pale. Uh, you know, we've had other sort of associated. We've had Michael Woodhouse from years back holding up a toilet seat with Claire Karen's face on. I mean, is there a culture problem? It's that old question. 
in the National Party? Is it in Parliament more generally? You know, what, what the, 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 this is this is a deeply concerning pattern of people behaving in ways that are unacceptable. I think that if you're talking about um, inappropriate text messages, um, older men, particularly in positions of power, very generously misunderstanding or more likely abusing their relationship with younger women, I think that's a societal issue that I think shows up in Parliament as well. Um, Parliament is is, a, is predicated on hierarchies of power. Politics is all about the exercise of power, and so it shows up, you know, it shows up in the same way that it does in a company hierarchy. You know, if we, as we've seen with big firms, as we've seen with, um, you know, a lot of these, you know, for want of a better word, patriarchal structures. Um, I don't. Th- I certainly don't. I, I mean, I know it's not confined to the National Party. I think you know everyone kind of knows that down in Wellington, um, but you know, it, and and I don't think that it's widespread in the sense that I think that parties in particular take a hard line on it these days, and and have done for some time. You know, n- nothing is is going to sort of grind the party leadership or hierarchy into action faster than you know inappropriate messages, you know Wiener esque pictures. Um, you know, illicit liaisons with, you know, groupies or younger party members. Um, and so I, I yeah, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's right to characterise it as a national party problem. It is a problem in parliament as it is a problem in society. Um, and, and, and I think that the toxic culture thing is a bit of a, 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 a uh, what's the word? Whitewash? Red herring. Red herring in the sense that these are still individuals who are culpable for their actions, you know. Um, There's something, though, isn't there? There's something about people who... I mean, you think back to poor old Aaron Gilmore and his now what seems incredibly kind of almost um, innocent, do you know who I am, at a Hamden Springs Mm. restaurant. But still, is it part of a general issue? And I'm not going to suggest it's, you know, uh, specific to any particular party, although, you know, I mean... Well, we just read out a list, but that there is just a an issue with power and um, uh, a, 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 a sort of failure to understand the dignity of a public office, I suppose. Mm. It's hard to remember the National Party being embroiled in so many micro-scandals. Like, I, I can't remember a time when there's been a run of so many... Um, individual MPs behaving very poorly for the position that they hold. And I do wonder if it's a a reflection of the sort of um, demographic shift that we've seen within the party where it used to be the kind of old blue school, you know, farmers and demuera and all of that sort of stuff. And now we've got this sort of um, young, ambitious generation coming through who perhaps don't have that kind of old school approach to politics. It, it, it's, it doesn't feel like the party it's of Gibraltar, like the vehicle. It? No, it's yeah. the, a vehicle for the ambitious and upwardly mobile who don't necessarily have the, the discipline or the understanding or the self-awareness of, of what's required to be a, an MP. Yeah, I, I think that's a really fair point. Um, both Walker and Falloon, you know, they had uh, ties, you know, family ties and and historical ties to their electorates, but they moved there to be MPs. They were very much sort of looking at, you know, they're both quite young. Falloon has only ever worked in Parliament and as an MP. Um, You know, I I think there's certainly something to that, and maybe you're right, maybe in the sense that maybe it's the wrong fit, in the sense of... You know, th- those are two rural seats, but you've basically got two city guys coming in and their goal is to be an MP, not necessarily to be part of the community. And so they've got all of these, you know, it's hard to imagine Ian McKelvey in Palmerston North, uh, sorry, in, you know, uh, Rangitiki uh, sending people, you know, pornographic images, you know, because he's, he's, he's you know, a farmer, salt of the earth kind of... Um, 
yeah, I yeah, I think that's it's interesting. On the other hand, you've got other you know the, you know Labour is full of professional politicians as well. It's something that it's a trend that I don't particularly like. I think National have been have been following and have actually overtaken Labour in terms of um, former staffers becoming MPs. Which I again I don't I don't think you can necessarily connect to hmm. misconduct, but I think is a bad trend in general. Um, you know I, I don't think that you should go straight from working in Parliament to being an MP. Um, I, it's I a, it's a global one too that professionalisation of politics idea, isn't it? But um, but yeah, whether it's directly linked to the, this this culture is, is another question. I mean, more broadly, we are. I, mean, I, I the think last you did see it with things like Todd Barclay where Todd Barclay's natural habitat was Courtney Place. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't Clutha mm. Southland. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was much more interested in being in Courtney Place yeah. than he was at school prize givings. Yeah. The problem for Judith Collins is is that, you know, she's inherited a party in disarray just weeks out of the election, and every hour she has to spend cleaning up this mess yes. and wading through the detail of it and talking to police and disciplining MPs yes. is precious time that she's not strategizing the, and and building their it, election it, campaign. Uh, so it's it, it's a massive, um, it's a problem for her uh, in a very practical so, sense. That's absolutely right. And I mean, let's remember that the last time we spoke, which was exactly a week ago, the acting leader of the National Party was Nikki Kay, you know? Like, that's, <laughs> that, uh, that, that, that's, that, that, that's literally who was running the National Party at that point as they were preparing to go into their caucus meeting. Um, so she's now had less than a week. And mm. the whole I, part of the whole idea was to draw a line. We kept on talking about drawing a line, right? Mm. And we were drawing mm. a line under the um, allegations around Michelle, Michelle Bogue and the leaked patient details and Michael Woodhouse's... Uh, receipt of some of those, and Hamish Walker obviously had to 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 fall on his sword over that eventually after pressure was put on him. Um, but now again, as you say, Annabelle, it's the back foot, back foot. There are fourteen MPs who have either quit this parliament or left the National Party. That fourteenth being Jamie Lee Ross. Um, it's a it's a bit of a shit show, and and for Judith Collins mm. as well, it doesn't help that. It, in this in this case, she's worked very hard over the weekend to answer questions when the dirty politics questions are raised. You know, mm. there's a whole chapter uh, devoted to her in the book, Dirty Politics, to be very clear that she won't accept any of this. And you know, let's be let's let 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 let, let let's let's be clear. It's not he. All of this happened when she was nowhere near the leadership, right? So, um, but it it still makes it. I mean. She can't draw. A, when, how can she draw a line under this? She's the latest. Latest information is she's saying that the police investigation might be reopened. She's already issued a, a statement through a spokesperson saying it shows a pattern, and she expects further allegations to come. I mean, mm. this is this is now being on the back foot. Uh, what happens now, Ben? Do you do do you see any way out of this for the National Party, or is it just trying to manage? the horrors uh, I'm trying to brainstorm mm. a uh, like a, a, a detailed sketch artist like who does kind of like uh, confusing sort of Oh, I was, yeah. was going to say, like, drawn so many lines, now it looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. Oh, but, yeah. of course, he did splotches, not lines. Right. So the whole thing is just disintegrated. Like it's, a three-year-old with a crayon drawing a line, maybe. Yeah, something. something let's just fix this yeah. in post. <clears throat> we'll just, I'll record a new gag and send it to you this afternoon. Um, the, it's, yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's been a lifetime. Um, and individually, you look at, a lot of these things, you know, look, totally reasonable that Nikki Kay would decide to bow out. She's 40. She has a whole life ahead of her. She's done pretty much everything she'll do. She, You know, she could do in politics except be prime minister or deputy prime minister. Um, Hart wasn't really in it anymore. You know, she can go and enjoy life. Fair enough. Amy Adams was already sort of, you know, half out the door. Um, Paula Bennett was probably always going to leave once she was removed from the leadership. Uh, Walker obviously had to go. Then Falloon, you know, really I think it built out of the blue. And individually you look at all these things and say, well, that kind of makes sense, that's legitimate. And then when you put it all together, 
<laughs> you know, it's this, it's this kind of ship of Theseus, but every plank has been re- replaced with shit. Yeah, um, it's a lot of just... people were staying at the start of this term. I mean, we had a kind of a, a, a completely unfamiliar, huge caucus, caucus that aren't in government, right? That don't have mm-hmm. any role in government, and in a way, you could put some of the, this down to that. But this this goes beyond even the the kind of statistical expectation of a few sort of mm. disenfranchised and. Um, uh, disillusioned backbenchers. And the problem that it creates is that, you know, one of uh, National's strongest lines of attack over the last three years has been the inexperience of um, Labour's ministers and MPs and looking like the party that's ready to govern. And um, with such a, a, a mass exodus... Um, it makes it very difficult to be able to credibly continue to run that line. And yeah, it is, that's and right. It, and, and, and it goes as well to that strong team yeah. line, which is still on the billboards, which is still on the hoardings. And, um, Ben, you are not a spokesperson for the National Party, so I don't mean to put you <laughs> on the spot for this. You're absolutely not. You were a press secretary under a national government, um, but you've, you're not and never have been a spokesperson for the National Party. But... You're the best we've got. Can you now seriously run a campaign over the remaining, what is it, 60 days, in which you say that this is the strong team, this is the deep squad, this is the, the, the that should take over government at a time where we remain in a crisis? I mean, it is just the, it is the most host- hospital of hospital passes, isn't it? I mean, they could run a line that they're getting stronger per capita every day. <laughs> <laughs> That on average, the quality of their MPs is increasing with each passing week. It's um, like the, the, was it the, the line of every person moving to Australia increases the yeah. average IQ of both countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and look, and I, I, you know, that was really palpable. I think when Judith Collins announced her reshuffle, uh, a lot of attention was paid to Shane Retty's promotion at the expense of Michael Woodhouse. You know, swift, decisive leadership. Um, you know, and and and. Collins, who had spent the morning sort of decrying diversity politics and saying we're just a meritocracy, then, you know, promoted Māori MPs and so, you know, got the best of both worlds. Um, but, you know, looking at that shadow cabinet now, you know, with Adams gone, with Nikki Kay gone, with Bennett gone, it, it's, it looks much weaker. You know, you, you're sure you've got old, ha- old hands, quote unquote, from the national previous national government. But I don't think anyone would be suggesting that David Bennett, Louise Upston and Jackie Dean were real stars mm. of the key administration. Um, you know, particularly, you know, you really see it in the departure of those three, you know, very high profile, very competent um, former women ministers. Um, you know, and again, all understandable reasons for quitting. But once you take them out as a chunk... Mm. Um, it's you know like the old, the ship of Theseus. You know it's very hard to pretend it's still your grandfather's axe when you've replaced the handle mm. and the blade. Um, but that's it, kind of what they need now, right? Like I mean, you look you 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 in, in, as far as that metaphor goes, the you know they should be pushing rejuvenation. Unfortunately, Judith Collins doesn't necessarily re- represent that. That was more the idea with Muller and Kay in the leadership. But you know, look, we saw it after uh, after nine years of Helen Clark. The Parliamentary Party imploded for several years. Now, after mm. what is it, eight years of John Key, we're seeing the same thing, really, aren't we? Well, when you're like having to reanimate Nick Smith from his like cryo sleep pod that's been orbiting around <laughs> outer Thorndon for the last three years, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence, does it? It is possible by the time we finish this podcast, Nick Smith is the leader of the National Party. We can't be sure. I just wanted to pick up on what you said, Ben, about the Michael Woodhouse thing and promoting the Māori MPs, because I feel like she's performed like a couple of really interesting political slights of hand over the last week. Judith Collins. Judith Collins. Collins. So, like, we've heard the whole, we don't believe in diversity, we believe in meritocracy, Mm. um, which obviously speaks to um, to a, you know, a section of her supporters that don't want to see Māori MPs being promoted and don't see them as as adding value, even though you literally have two Harvard graduates and someone who who went to um, Oxford. Um, but at the same time, she has browned up her, her front bench. And then with the Michael Woodhouse thing, you know, people are saying she's stripped him of the health portfolio. 
well, yes, but she's given him two other great portfolios. So I think she's quite skilled at playing um, both sides. Um, some of the language she's used this week, I know, has caused concern, and rightly so. So I think there was um, a, a comment she made about we're taking our country back, which... Um, you know, has fallen flat with some of our ethnic communities yeah. and, you know, some of her comments about, um, you know, not being victimised for her ethnicity and stuff, but that appeals to, you know, a yeah. section of national voters. Yeah. So she's quite, um, yeah, it's interesting watching how she's playing How do you think she, she was on your television programme, The Hui, on Sunday morning, um, where Mahingarangi Forbes asked her how it was that she was demonised as a white person. Mm. And um, she also used the line, I think, in there that she thinks that it should be, you know, it was all all New Zealand. One, I don't know mm. if she quite quite said one law for all, but she was, you know, that's that's part of her her messaging. How do you think she performed in, in under that pressure? I, I think um, by comparison to um, Muller's performance mm. in the media, that she's absolutely streets ahead of him. Her her um, eighteen years of experience shows her you know, skills as mm. a former lawyer have come to the fore. I think she appears to be answering questions mm. in a fairly straightforward way, um, even though there is a massive lack of detail around, you know, funding and costing and that sort of thing. So I think certainly she's um, performed much stronger than, um, than than Todd Muller did. I thought watching her on your programme and on Q&A and The Nation over the weekend that one of the things that was just very clear, although she was under pressure a lot of times, is she didn't uh, she didn't appear to be um, crippled in the way that others are mm. by the lack of an answer, by racing around in her head, what shall I answer? Mm. She can just sort of do something and she's all, sort of disarmingly kind of almost... Uh, What's the word? She'll, she'll sort of smile and go, oh, do they? You know, it's a sort of very... That's right. She it's, um, falls it's, back on her, on her humour to get her through some of those sticky situations. It's, it's it, you know, it's kind of on a basic level, it's mm. kind of likeable, you know? Like it, feel, it, it, it's, it feels real rather than confected. Um, I mean, obviously now she's in a very different situation to that. But what did you think of that opening round of interviews, Ben? There was also the infrastructure announcement, I suppose, on Friday. All of that, do you think... Do you think that she showed that she, at that point, that things were going to improve? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any been, ever been any doubt that she's a much more assured media performer than um, Bridges or Muller before her. Um, you know, that would have been, I assume, the decisive factor in the caucus choosing her. We didn't know, to be fair, about Muller because we'd seen so little of him. You know, well, that's was, right. I mean, but it, seriously, you know, he could have he could mm. have he could have had been a dab hand at it from mm. get go. Yeah, although you know, that's what of, his colleagues thought was going to happen. It's, it's kind of like those people who say, "I've, I've, you know, I've always, um, I've always thought I'd be a great writer or novelist, but I've never tried." You know. Yeah. Um, I think that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's sort of. You know, these are skills. They they don't come naturally to anyone. Jacinda Ardern did wow everyone with her initial press conference. But remember, she had been a public figure for, uh, you know, nine years before that. You see, you're um, right, but you also don't know, right? Like, you also don't know. There was nothing I would say that if you watch the Auckland Central debates and the, um, the, the, the Nikki Kay versus Jacinda Ardern, you would say these are both extremely talented politicians. Both have an enormous amount going on for them. You wouldn't have expected that Jacinda Ardern would absolutely, you know, mm. you say that opening mm. press conference and onwards, she's just sort of, um, 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 she's shown herself to have uh, a, a, a leadership's abilities that no one necessarily would have picked, whereas Nikki Kay, and under the glare of the lights in those first weeks, came up short, you know? Yeah, yeah, look, ab absolutely, but with Todd So Mullet, what I'm saying is Annabelle yeah. Lovell has every chance of success. <laughs> and we're going to do the first reading. I, do, I do think um, that while it'll be a far more even contest between Judith and, and Jacinda in the, um, in the upcoming debates, I, I do think that Jacinda um, is a stronger performer in her media interviews. And that it won't be a walk in the park for Judith by, by any stretch of the imagination. And Jacinda's had three years of 
um, dealing with some really difficult issues and getting asked some really curly questions by the media on a daily basis and that, that sort of um, that sort of daily mileage you yeah, know yeah. it and really gets your, your muscles match fit so I think you know just an, again Judith is starting on the back foot w- w- there. while I do is very good at deflecting difficult questions and reframing them to answer questions she'd prefer to to, 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 to be answering. <clears throat> she also is one of the main attacks that's made of her is that she's not good on detail, which is just wrong. She's she's very good mm. at detail. Mm. She's got a great, re- you know, you, you watched her during the COVID crisis and elsewhere, her retention of detail is extraordinary, I think. It's and so If that's her weakness, then, <laughs> and if, I mean, if that's being targeted as a weakness, then that's a, that's a bad strategy. Um, uh, let, let's let's talk about Winston Peters in New Zealand first, which um, this was meant to be their big weekend. Winston Peters back from the surgeon's table and doing the Winston Peters show, railing at the media, railing at um, the opposition, even railing at the other parties of government. And he, um, and you know, bopping along to John Farnham as he is wont to do at his conferences lately. Um, is could, John Rawls stuck in Hawaii? Um, it's, it's been John Farnham for a few few rounds now, um, uh, and it's a good tune. You're the voice, Ben. Try and understand it. Hello there, Simon Pound here from another spin-off podcast with a little bit of cross-promo for you. If you might be into the stories of Aotearoa's most interesting entrepreneurs and innovators, you might like to check out Business is Boring the podcast I host that reckons it's anything but. Recent episodes have included great guests like Tim Brown from Allbirds, Kitty Nathan from her own label, and Brianne West with the amazing story of Ethie. If that sounds like a bit of you, it's available through the spin-off or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Every time New Zealand first go on the tour, go on the show for, for um, elections, there's just such a sort of greatest hits feel about it. It's like Jordan Luck parading up and down the East Coast at New Year's. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you know all the words, a thousand more police, mm. you know. Mm. Okay, apparently, in addition to the thousand more police that he guaranteed after the last election, just what's a good figure? We need a thousand more. We're just about there. Um, cut immigration to 15,000. I think at the last election it was about 20,000 or something. Obviously, immigration's about zero now. So, you know, that's one win chalked up for them. Um, you know, and, and this is the sort of chutzpah of the New Zealand First Party, right? Promising to cut immigration when there is literally no immigration yeah. happening. Yeah. It's just so predictable. And the only thing that's changed this time is that he's got a bunch of sort of jam-mouthed, sticky, toffee-handed public school blazer wearing beano reading conquer playing <laughs> groucho club fucking weirdos dubbed the bad boys of brexit who have come in to do his social media um, just and, and, and turn the election into a viz comic it's just embarrassing what a bunch of plonkers you sort of feel sort of feel feel bad for winston like he may even have been played by these absolute vile plonkers you know they're just completely disingenuous um pr seeking liars you know like i think it is really revealing though of how unsettled and um uh how at risk he is feeling that you would um reach out to an organization like that to a group of people like that um to to do your to do your memes, um, <laughs> your Twitter memes is um, is quite telling, I think, and I think he knows that he's at, uh, at risk in a way that in a way that he hasn't been at risk before, a- and you know, to as you say, Ben, to although the the um, the immigration <coughs> card is you could argue has always come up trumps for him because he always gets returned to Parliament. Never in the history of New Zealand, I think, has anyone ever given less fucks about immration <laughs> yeah, yeah. than mm. what we do right now. So the fact that he's... Except for that, the fact apart that from returning New Zealanders. And except for the fact that the, for a large number of people, the immigration cry is really just a dog whistle for xenophobia. Mm. So, you know, it's not really 
for some people about immigration. Yeah, but it's I about think, Queen Street being full of Chinese people. That's but the, uh, that he is recalling on it this time when he knows that, you know, immigration isn't an issue instead of, you know, like basically claiming to be the head of stop operations in Parliament <laughs> instead of pointing to your achievements over the last three years when you've been in charge of the PGF. You know, it doesn't make sense to me. I'm confused about what the what the strategy is there. The, the and, voters and have always been oppositional. That mm. they always like Winston standing against things rather than for things, um, and that's just been sort of concretized into their current strategy. Okay, but for for all that, the, um, the New Zealand First Party won seven point two percent of the popular vote of the vote mm. at the last election, and they have surely for the people that supported them overachieved. They have achieved, you know, like if you if you look at the, the, the impact in Cabinet, the impact of Provincial Growth Fund, the things they've stopped, but also the things they've started, you know, one a billion trees, whatever. You listen to Winston mm. Peters giving his speech on Sunday and you go, isn't this, under MMP, if a party achieves a disproportionate amount of its manifesto to its election, surely that is a success? Surely the system working should be that New Zealand First should be riding high in the polls at the moment. I, mean, I don't think they're good at telling their own story, though, in, in that regard. Or maybe MMP is, doesn't work, you know, I mean, in that regard. Like, I mean, it is it is a difficult one, you know, whereas the Greens are playing a much more measured path. But Winston Peters it, held up in interviews and in that speech Audrey Young's uh, report card on their achievements in government, and it's a, it's a glowing report card. Oh, look, if you compare their achievements to the Greens, who, mm. you know, struggling in the polls, but probably very little likelihood they'll drop under 5% on election day, I think. Um, you know, you just compare the Provincial Growth Fund to the Green Investment Bank. The Green Investment Bank was $100 million set aside to lend on green investment projects mm. that had to be on commercial terms and had to have a business case that stacked up. And I think they and, did that. And, and did nothing for a year and, and a half. And, and, and has only just gotten its first yeah. loan out the door. Yeah. The Provincial mm. Growth Fund is $3 billion, 30 times as much for Shane Jones to just give to his friends in the regions. Just disclaimer, I mean his friends in the regions as in he's a friend of people in the he's regions. He's a friend of the regions. Not, he's giving a it to his friends success. in a corrupt way. He's a friend of success. Please don't mm. sue me like Joyce did the NBR. Um, the, and, and, you know... It, the, the disparity between what New Zealand First have achieved and what the Greens have achieved and then New Zealand First tanking in the polls whereas the versus the Greens, you know, dropping but, you know, probably still safe is actually pretty extraordinary. But I think it speaks to the psychology of New Zealand First voters, which is that, you know, maybe it is an over-promising thing. You know, New Zealand First's real promise is not that it'll tr plant a billion trees or that it will change regulations around timber processing, or that it will develop projects in the regions. It's that it will make everything the same as it was in your youth, mm. that you remember while mm. you're sitting at the mm. TAB, mm. nursing a pint, uh, you know, remembering when you had a job in your small town. Um, I don't think it's an accident that the slogan they unveiled on Sunday begins with the word back. Like, I genuinely don't. You know, no. it was, it was mis, mis, some people misread it as back to the future, but it was, it was back your future. But I don't think it was, I don't think that was some malapropism on their part. I think, you know, you're back. They, they mean, let's go back to, you know, yep. to, to, to 1975 when, when, when everything was, was right and proper. And that's D the best way to understand the New Zealand first. Yeah. Days when Chris, Chris Trotter used to, you know, say New Zealand was utopia. <laughs> Um, Pavlova Paradise, yeah. um, Annabelle. He, but he was also just one other thing on on on, on Uncle Winston is that he did a good job when he covered um, maternity leave as Prime Minister. You know, all 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 all, all, all the, all the mm. predict predictions of carnage or um, self serving. You know, he's not, he's he's not the narcissist that some people would play him as. I don't think, and, or didn't didn't prove himself in that. Then under the COVID crisis, he played a firm hand, did a whole lot of work, you know, mm. the people say he did great work overseeing the repatriations and dealing with foreign governments. He's been mm. a, he's done, done a good job as, 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 as a foreign minister. I, I don't know, I guess the problem for them now when you think about the COVID crisis as well is that it makes it harder to do that kind of, we're going to go rogue and just mm. let loose on everybody. And so they've gone instead for the strategy and it was there in a speech on Sunday of an insurance policy, which is another word for the handbrake, which is 
the pitch is, in a way, in a, and it works for 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 Winston and New Zealand first in this regard. If National is basically out of the picture, it is Labour is going to be the government. We've said this before on this pod, and so their line will be. And he talked about tax a lot on Sunday as well, which is that if you want an insurance policy on these red green crazies, what did what did John Key call them? The Devil Beast. Do you remember that? Oh, that yes, was a good one. the Devil Beast. The Devil yeah. Beast. Anyway, if and, and do do you think do you think he's do you think he's got a shot with that? I think I mean you can absolutely never count him out, can you? Because time and time again he you know polls low and then he he gets back into Parliament. I think. Um, you know, he's had two things um, go against him this time. One, I think, is the New Zealand First Foundation scandal, which, you know, mm. on, on the face of things, looks a little funky. And um, so that that certainly um, hasn't helped, and nor did the way he, you know, responded to that in terms of the whole, you know, photographing of journalists and so on. Mm. That definitely is funky. Um and it's yet to be resolved. I think the other thing is that even though from all accounts he did an incredible job during COVID in terms of repatriating New Zealanders, he um, he fell out of the view of the public and mm. Jacinda was there every day. Um, Deputy Prime Minister Grant Robertson beside her. Um, you know, um, doing an incredible job. Yeah. And, you know, when you look around what's happening in the world now, my God, we are so lucky yeah. to be yeah, in the I position that point. we're in. I think that's a great point. And um, those things have counted against yeah. him. And I think, too, that there is, there has been the perception that he, that while New Zealand first, you're right, Ben, that, you know, they're into oppositional politics, I do think that, um, that, uh, people aren't really in the mood for stopping stuff other than COVID at the moment. I think I think Judith's ascension um, will hurt New Zealand first because she's mm. a tough guy too, and um, and I think people will probably be um, keen to to um, throw their bets in behind her this time around. I also think that you know it's going to hurt ACT as well with with um, with, with Judith leading national. So I mean, I, I, you can never ever say that that you know he's he's out for the count. And again, you know what you're saying, Ben, about their report card. That is because he's such a skilled MMP politician. He knows how to get all the runs on the board. Who knows? Uh, I think I, I do. Ha, having having the, said all of that, it feels like there's a different mood in the air this time around, and I think they will have to work very hard to get back. And I think it's a shame that they didn't spend more time this term really cultivating yeah. a strong seat for themselves. And I, I'm not convinced that um, Shane will get over the line in Northland. There, there's zero chance Shane Jones will in Northland. Um, I think there will be a lot of media attention on Shane Jones in Northland. And I'm not sure about the maths of that. Chloe Swarbrick in um, Auckland Central, and I think neither of them will get close. Um, the, I think it is interesting that probably Winston, P, you know, the perverse incentives of politics um, seem to show that the two times that. Winston Peters has acted most statesmanlike and contributed the most to this country in the last couple of years are probably the two things that has hurt his, have hurt his party the most. The first is post Christchurch, going with the government on its gun reform, um, which gave ACT an opening. Uh, that that was really what kickstarted ACT's mm. you know rise to the stratospheric levels of two to three percent in some polls. <laughs> Um, which was getting that gun lobby on board, you know, the gun activists who, who opposed those reforms. Um, and that would normally be a, a pretty strong New Zealand first constituency. Um, the second thing is, yeah, being so constructive and working so well in the COVID environment where, you know, the at a time when New Zealand first were re really gearing up their oppositional stuff before the pandemic hit, um, you know, uh, showed the government functioning well as a unit in the best interests of New Zealand. But, yeah, that's right, New Zealand first receded back into the background. Mm. So, you know, not saying that they would have been on 5% in the absence of those two things mm. um, because, 
we've got to remember that every time New Zealand First has been in government before, they have failed to clear the 5% threshold. And you can say there were different circumstances in those times, such as an SFO investigation in 2008. But in a way, some of these circumstances are exactly the same. First time they've made it through to the end of the government. I mean, you know, three weeks to go. That's true. Well, first time he's made it through with his ministerial warrants intact. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not sure I totally agree with your 0% um, prognostication on Northland, um, but we will talk about that seat and Auckland Central in the weeks to come now that we are a weekly podcast. Just quickly before we go, um, the announcement on Sunday, Jerry Brownlee issued a statement saying that the National Party uh, in government would impose a $3,000 fee for returning New Zealanders uh, in quarantine and self-isolation. And then in very quick time afterwards, Megan Woods, who oversees that as part of her portfolio, said that the, the, the existing government was pretty much into doing the same thing. Um, which made me wonder whether or not they both had been polling on this particular issue and seen some pretty mm. overwhelming numbers um, of people going, yeah, they fuckers should pay, the fuckers should pay. But it, does this not play to the meanest part of New Zealand? We are meant to be in, in, all in this together. It's a public health measure. It's a sacrifice, not a privilege, to be put in two weeks. Yep, some people have good luck and end up in the Pullman and have a nice time, but it's not... Is, 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 is this... What do you think, Annabelle? It seems a bit mean-minded to me. I think, you know, um, be that as it may, um, in terms of it being mean-spirited, that that's probably out of step with the way the rest of New Zealand is feeling. Um, you know, I work in Newton just off K Road, and I walk along K Road, and I've never seen so many beggars and homeless people mm. as I do now, including people sleeping on mattresses outside mm. of the quarters. And I think... Apart um, from that one one guy who is in self-isolation, according to Michael Woodhouse. That's right. So I think um, a, a lot of New Zealanders will be seeing the same thing now, that that um, that, that that wave of the, the second wave of homelessness that groups like LifeWise talked about, mm. and they'll be wondering that why is it that we have New Zealanders sleeping on the streets when we have people coming back into the country um, staying at the Pullman and not having to make a financial contribution to it. Mm-hmm. I do wonder if perhaps there needs to be a more nuanced approach whereby if you're a returning New Zealand citizen who is planning to stay permanently and um, get a job, might start a business, whatever, that, that they are charged or not charged in a different way to someone who may be just returning back for a funeral or or that sort of thing, but I do understand why New Zealanders um, are feeling a sense of frustration that, um, you know, in a, an ongoing housing crisis, unemployment soaring, um, beggars on the street, why, um, why people who are returning aren't making a financial contribution to their, um, to their time in quarantine. Yeah, I think it's a terrible policy. Um, if there's one birthright you have of being a New Zealander, or maybe not a birthright, a citizenship right, if you get citizenship through you know, means other than birth, um, it's that you're allowed to be in New Zealand. You can always come home. Uh, the quarantine is in order to stop the spread of the virus. It's something that we do to people who are returning to the country. Um you know, people don't like the analogy with prison, but I, I think the analogy is fair in the sense that it is something we are requiring people to do. You don't have a choice. You have to be there for two weeks. Um, I think that it's completely wrong to charge New Zealanders for that. Um, I think it was. I think it's the worst instincts of both the National and Labour parties, um, probably playing to the worst instincts of New Zealanders. I mean... It, This debate has brought out the two worst strains of the New Zealand persona to me. The first is the kind of narrow-minded, tall poppy provincialism, which says, you know, who are these flash harries coming back from overseas that think they're so great, they weren't here when we were toughing it out in lockdown with a team of five million, and now they want to, you know, now they want to come back and exploit 
Hobbiton or whatever, um, and the other strain, which is people coming from overseas, going, oh, everyone's just jealous because we like <laughs> went and wanted to make make something of our lives. Like, it certainly didn't saying, help that there I were just, people. I hate all of them. But pe- like, people complaining about their food ro- arriving a little bit late didn't really help, did I? I mean, I think that's what's important. People complaining well. about being um, taken to Rotorua and stuff, but I think it depends also on on how you look at it, like. To me, the whole uh, that's a very individual approach. Whereas I think, you know, if you're coming back to rejoin the team of five million, no my hide my, but we all have a contribution that we've had to to make to that. So I don't think it should be like roll up with your visa and pay three k. But I do think there needs to be a nuanced approach to that. Um, um, the the financial burden of dealing with COVID is is spread fairly amongst. The team of five million. Why don't we actually use Hobbiton and put up some of those, <laughs> those you know, those like kind of really quick. You can buy those things that you put on a trailer, and they're basically little huts. You know, little, just sprinkle Hobbiton with like welcome teepees. little pads. No, you know what I mean. Like those. You no, can, uh, did I? You don't need a permit for them. You can just put them on your, and then it's like a little sleep out. Like I told you about my right? last trip to Fakatani. Put street right? sleep outs there, um, long drops. And then if you want to stay in the Pullman or something like that, you can pay to top it mm. up. There we go. I just think that, you know, when whānau weren't able to bury their dead and have tangihanga and go through that process, um, being asked to contribute to your quarantine is really not that great a sacrifice. Of course, it would, you know, you have to look at the wider circumstances. But if you're coming back for a funeral, I don't see why you shouldn't have to call her. Allah's orb ladies. Um, the only other thing on that we should we should we should probably wrap this up quickly is that I was surprised that the Greens haven't had anything to say about this. It seems like they're they're also. I, I I thought this was a bit of an open goal for the Greens when you've got National and Labor both going. We're going to nail you with three thousand dollar fines. For the, I felt like a, a Russell Norman back in the day would have leapt out of the traps to say this is uh, this is an objectionable policy. We're all in this together. We should all support one another. Blah blah blah. Yeah, that's a particularly strange one, um, especially because a number of people have pointed out to me that they're worried the green vote uh, that traditionally does very well with overseas voters yeah. uh, may fall this year because of the the international profile and pride in Jacinda, uh, Jacinda Ardern, and this would be a great way to reconnect with you know, those young up seat, they? green yeah. voters overseas. Um, you know, if, if cruel, cruel Prime Minister Ardern wants to charge them three grand to come back. Um, the one thing, the other thing that I wanted to touch on, um, which I think is actually the biggest announcement of the last couple of days, was the government's decision announced yesterday that they're going to uh, basically stow away 14 billion of the 20 billion dollars mm. that was appropriated for the COVID response. Mm. Um, so when, when an appropriation is made in a budget, that's an authority to spend. It means that the government can raise that money, or if they already have that money, they hadn't spend it. borrowed the money, they but they were given the Parliament's uh, sign-off to borrow to that borrow money. the money. Yeah. Yep. And they and what they've said is they're basically not going to seek that fourteen billion dollars on overseas markets or whatever, or by printing money on the Reserve Bank, uh, by uh, and and they're instead going to. Uh, leave that in reserve for if there's a second bout of community transmission, another lockdown, or an evolving response. Now, two things there. One shows that there's still a commitment to sort of, you know, reasonably sound fiscal management. If you can't think of a good way to spend the money, which is going to add value to the economy, it's probably a good idea not to spend it. Second thing, uh, really cuts National's lunch um, in the sense that National were probably primed to spend $20 billion mm. in their promises. Mm. Um, and we saw that with, you know, the $31 billion infrastructure announcement on Friday with, you know, sort of slightly um, <laughs> shifty costings uh, in towards the mm-hmm. lettering. Yeah. Yeah. And so th- it, it's it's really interesting. There's a, you know, a strategy I like to call rope-a-dope, which is where you show extreme fiscal caution for the first few years of your term. And then the opposition demands that you spend more money. And then once you start spending money during election year, they can't complain. Mm. Um, and here, Robertson, Robertson did that you mm. know, at the beginning of uh, end of last year with the big infrastructure announcement. And now he's sort of pulled it back 
and after 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 um, kind of luring National in to themselves trying to outspend mm. and talking about the debt, which mm. is a huge message that National have been pushing, mm. which is, you know, how are we going to pay back this $40 billion worth of debt? This is a debt for the future generations. And now Labour is saying, well, actually, we're getting rid of a third of it. So, you know, balls in your court. So, I mean, you know, I, th- I think primarily good fiscal management, but secondly, pretty canny politics from Grant Robertson. Sticking his heel on the hose, right, of spending, but also showing I'm a, I'm, I, here, is, here is prudence. You know, it's the old kind of Gordon Brown approach that was meant to spike the guns of those who would attack them, not for being prudent. Men. You know, that, that's what he's, he's, he's put himself up for. Um, Annabelle, do you have anything to add to the end of this podcast, I which have is nothing. now limp, limping, limping towards limping its conclusion? Towards but don't worry, next week we'll be back to talk about the new National Party leader, Mark Mitchell, after his rebranding as uh, the Easter Bunny. <laughs> so uh, do uh, join us then. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Flip Electric. Thank you very much, Annabelle. Thank you very much, Ben. I hope you don't have COVID. I'm Toby Manhart, and we'll catch you soon. Oh, should everyone become spin off members? So that we can become podcast millionaires and buy a helicopter. That's a great. That's a great point, Ben. Thank you for um, <coughs> once again shilling for the good people. Spin-off members. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.